So good to be here with you tonight and be celebrating Holy Week together. Um, sometimes people will say, well, we don't need to celebrate Christian holidays because uh, they didn't celebrate Christian holidays in the Bible, not in the New Testament anyway. And uh, the tradition I grew up in would say, well, we don't celebrate Jesus' birth or, or Easter or whatever because we celebrate him every day. Well, try that on your wife's birthday next time. <laughs> the reason we pause, even though we might celebrate people every day in a sense, we pause at times like this to remind us of things that are really significant. We stop and say, we want to remember why this matters. And do you hear, did, you, did you pay attention to the words you just sang? At the cross... I surrender my life. Now, sometimes we're, we're more into singing, I'm in awe of you, because we can say that and be kind of pumped up about it. Oh, yeah, I'm in awe of you. You're great. But, but what do we mean when we say, at the cross, I surrender my life? See, sometimes we are pretty quick to move past the cross to the resurrection. And boy, I love the resurrection. (laughs) I mean, if we didn't have the resurrection, we wouldn't be celebrating the cross. But I want to invite you this week not to move past the cross too quickly. We're going to journey this week with Jesus to the cross. And we're going to pause this week. And we're going to walk with him as he's in Jerusalem. And this is a time for us to think about what does it mean to have a religion where at the center of it there's a cross. Nobody ever dreamed of a religion like this before Christ came into the world. And yet now we are here here 2,000 years later and we're singing songs about this cross, this instrument of cruel execution. And we're here praising God for it. And we're here saying, because of it, at that moment, at that place, we'll surrender our own lives. But we can't let that become a worn-out phrase, a, a Christian ease, you know, like, like a Christian dialect that does not carry meaning for us, okay? We want to journey to the cross this week. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for gathering us here. Thank you for this week and all that it means to us. Bless us, open our hearts here to receive from your word in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Among the the many, how many people in here have watched The Chosen? Yeah, a lot of you. I I conspicuously see Stephen Tracy haven't watched it, even though we gave it to them over a year ago, and they still haven't watched it. So, uh, and, and they kind of wanted to act like they're watching it, but they still haven't. So I'm just going to keep shaming them until they watch it. <laughs> it's going public. I've tried small groups. It hasn't worked. We're going public with it now. 
You know, The, uh, the Chosen is a great series. It doesn't get everything right, but nothing gets everything right. You can criticize it here and there, but it presents a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. And it's so creative in the things it shows us. But one of the beautiful things it does, and my girls, Sydney in particular, uh, but the others also were calling my attention to, to this just last week, is the theme song of that show. Anybody know what the theme song is? And shout it out if you know it. Or if you can guess it from my, from my slide. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> Trouble is the theme song. And I think that's brilliant. It's just not what you'd expect for a series focused on Jesus. And yet it's so great. The, the way the song is, it has a certain edge to it. And they they. they they sing just over and over, trouble, trouble, <laughs> because Jesus was trouble for the establishment, for the way things were going in life for most people. Jesus was trouble. You know, we could ask, at one level, we can ask, why did Jesus die at the God's eye viewpoint? We could ask a theological question. Why did Jesus die? You know, to save the world, to atone for our sins. You can ask all those kind of questions, but you can also get down on the ground level, his, historical level and say, why did Jesus die? And you know why he died? He was trouble. That's right. He troubled the system. And he troubled the people who were in power. They didn't know what to do with him. He was messing up their world. And finally, they said, we've got to kill him. And tonight we look, just very briefly, we're not going to spend a long time. Tonight we look at one of the most troubling things he ever did. I want you to know he did it on purpose. Now, sometimes people, have you ever looked at the story about Jesus going in and cleansing the temple? Brother Terry read for us a little while ago. And uh, thought, what was he thinking? Why did he do that? I mean, he just did it for a minute. Then he left. Everything went back to normal again. Did he have a temple tantrum? That's not original with me. Okay, that's somebody else. I think it's good. Did he just kind of lose it? No, that's not what happened. Same thing with the fig tree. You know, a little bit after that, he, he's out, he curses this fig tree. You ever think about that? I mean, that, it kind of bothers you a little bit if you, you stop with it with Jesus. Like, what? That's not Jesus. It's just a tree, and this tree doesn't have fruit on it. It's not even supposed to. It's not even the time of year for fruit. And he walks up to it, and he curses it. I mean, did, what, was he waking up super hungry that day and stressed out with all that's going on around him? He was like, I need some food. Curse that fig tree. <laughs> no, you see, that's not what he did. I want you to know that Jesus didn't lose it at all. He didn't have a tantrum. The, the actions he's taking in Jerusalem, starting here on Monday, are some of the most deliberate actions he ever took in his life. They were well thought out. And he was acting in line with a prophetic tradition where prophets act things out, prophetic sign actions. That's what he was doing. And when he, when he walked into the temple, he was showing. You know how you say a picture's worth a thousand words? Right? Because you can show something in a picture you can't, you can't say. Well, a prophetic sign actions were 10,000 words. And he was stamping something on everyone's mind. We're going to see what it was in just a minute. Same thing with the fig tree then was kind of a parable about a parable. It was a sign about a sign. He had just shown something about the temple. Then he shows it in the, in the, in the tree as well, saying basically your time is up. That's what he's saying to the temple as well. You haven't borne the kind of fruit that you need to bear, so your time is up. It's very important that we understand this so we can get a picture of what it is that Jesus is doing. You know, we're always talking about following Jesus, and we should be, but we rarely, you know, when we're, when we're teaching people about following Jesus, we don't, we don't usually get to this story. <laughs> so now, now, kids, today we're going to learn about 
being like Jesus, instead of our palm trees, everybody go grab your whips, <laughs> our palm leaves. Yeah. We wouldn't do that, would we, right? You guys might like that if you had some whips out there, wouldn't you? Yeah. We don't give you whips, though. We don't trust you with the whips in here. You see, Jesus wasn't losing it. He didn't blow his gasket and go after everybody with a whip. He was saying something to the world. He was stamping it on the pages of history, and he wanted everybody to know from that time onward what had happened. It, here's the thing. If you understand, you look carefully at the Gospels, and you see Jesus' life. He had been on a, a collision course with the temple his entire ministry because the temple was the most sacred place on earth as it rightly should have been. It was God's temple. It was God's dwelling place. It was the cultural and ceremonial center of Israel. It was the political and spiritual headquarters of the people of God. And, you know, they, they thought in terms of sacred spaces in a way we don't. And maybe you say Jerusalem was sacred. The, the nation of Israel, that territory was sacred. And on out from there, it's God's world. On all the way into the center, you get the temple in the most holy place, the most sacred place on earth. And yet, Jesus had gone around acting as if the temple was traveling with him. Did you know that? This is what drove the religious leaders crazy. Jesus would go around, he would do what you can only do in the temple. He would look at people and say, my child, your sins are forgiven you. You can't do that. You go to the temple and you offer a sacrifice and then the priest says, okay, your sins are forgiven. Jesus didn't wait for that. Somebody's totally impure with a skin disease. Jesus reaches out and touches them and he doesn't get unclean. He says, now you're clean. You can't do that. <laughs> he tells him, you know, go show yourself to the priest. But he doesn't say go to the priest uh, so, that, so that you can be made clean. Jesus makes them clean. Right? Jesus acts as if the temple travels with him. As if God is present right where he is, wherever he is. The dwelling place of God now is on the move with Jesus. And his whole life and ministry was set up as a collision with the temple and by implication with those who were in authority in the temple. And when Jesus, let me tell you what he did when he, when he went into the temple. He went there knowing it was a death sentence. To do what he did. Of course, they already wanted to kill him. But there's no way on earth he's going to do that and stay alive. He had been predicting he was going to die, but it doesn't necessarily take prophetic insight to know if I go in there and wipe it out with a whip, <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> Jesus knew what he was doing. Sometimes people rise up and they do say, I'm going to be like Jesus and cleanse the temple. And we all know how that goes. People with their righteous fits that they throw and they say I'm being like Jesus I'm going to cleanse the church <laughs> well let me let me tell you something you don't get to cleanse the church until you're ready to die for the people Jesus cleansed the temple because he knew he was ready to die for the people and he knew that by doing so he was signing his own death warrant. This sign there that he gave to the people then was a sign that the temple's time is up. 
That's what he did. So, so he interrupted the sacrifices. You know, why did he go to the tables where they're, where they're buying and selling? A lot of times people have said, well, it's economic exploitation. He was exposing that. But that, that doesn't really work with the text. It doesn't say anything about that. And he drives out both the buyers and the sellers. It's not that the buyers are, are being taken advantage of. He drives them all out. Right? What's he doing? A couple of options arise if you, if you study the text. One is that he's just stopping the sacrifices. He's getting rid of the animals because they had to buy their animals there to, to sacrifice. Of course, they could buy them other places, but that was one place. So it may have just been that was the sign to say, I'm interrupting the way things work, stopping the central function of this, of this temple here uh, to, to, to signal that it's over. Another uh, possibility, and it may be a both ends, just that he's, he's, he's objecting to the commercialism that's present there. This is not what the temple was for, exchanging money, making a profit. But there's a deeper issue, okay? And we don't have time. I'm really going to keep this to 20 minutes, so I just can't have, uh, go into all the things we could go into here. But the deeper issue, if you look at the, the scriptures he's quoting there, um, and we, we, Terry or Josh, would you all switch to the next slide? In, in, in Jeremiah, this, you see that bolded text there? This is part of what Jesus quotes. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? My house shall be called a house of prayer, Jesus said. He's combining text here when he does it, but you've made it a den of robbers. Right? If you look at that context there, he's talking about who they are coming to worship, right? Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and then come and stand before me in my house and say, we're delivered? And this is what Jesus was confronting a lot of times, wasn't he? And we talked about in the class uh, just on Sunday, the hypocrisy that goes on sometimes in religious circles. People go about doing all kinds of evil, and they come and they, they bring their sacrifices, or they do their worship however they're supposed to, and they go right along with their business, and they're using their religion kind of as a shield for their, for their sin. That's hypocrisy. May I say to you this week, as we stop at the cross, as we stop... And watch Jesus journeying, journeying to his death. It's a time for us not just to look out there at them and say, oh, those bad hypocrites. It's a time for us to examine ourselves and to say, any hypocrisy in me needs to come to an end. When Jesus comes to his church, when he stands there and looks around at the people, all the pretenses have to go away. And let me tell you, he sees right through it. We can hide from a lot of people, and some of us are very good at it. But let me tell you, we cannot hide from the Lord Jesus. And this hypocrisy was the deeper issue. This, they had not borne the fruit. The life of God had not grown in the people to become what it was supposed to become. And yet they were there running the religious show, bringing in the religious funds, carrying out the religious business, going about their day with the greetings in the marketplaces saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher, teacher. And yet their heart was not in line with God's heart. That's hypocrisy. This week is a week for us to examine ourselves and say, is there hypocrisy in my life? Am I showing up and doing the religious stuff 
because I want people to think things about me, because I want to think things about myself. When I know Jesus sees right through all of that, would you take the hypocrisy, whatever's left of it in your life, would you put it on the cross this week? Would you ask Jesus just to, to let that be nailed with him to the cross? Jesus said, he quotes the scripture, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. You understand that, you know, we hear things like this and we say, it, we don't, I don't, I'm afraid we don't feel the force of it because we don't realize what an incredible privilege it is that God would say, I want to dwell with you. We've just gotten so used to that. This is not the way it has to go. This is the generosity of the heart of God. And he says, I want to dwell with you and walk with you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And you can come to my house and you get to pray. It's not you have to go pray. It's you get to come and pray because I am close. I want to be with you. And in showing that, I, I've, I've taken up residence here in this place in, in a, a more direct way to symbolize my presence with you more broadly. For Jesus to walk into this place then and say, nope, time's up here. Something had to have gone badly wrong and something had to really grab their attention with this action, either to move them to repentance or to, remo or to move them to be angry enough to kill him. What happens when God's sacred territory, when place God set aside for himself no longer reflects God's heart? See, that's a very sad thing, isn't it? When God says, I want to be with you, and we take it and say, I want to make a profit. I want to be a place where people can come and know me and pray and learn to love me and love each other. We say, I want to make my church bigger. I want to have a successful business run here because I'm a pastor and I need to show I can be successful. God says, I want you to help people know me. I want to be a place where people truly know me and can come and pray to me. And we say, I want to profit myself. This is a week where we get to repent. And we get to realize all the ways we throw up ourselves in front of the Lord Jesus, in front of God our Father, and say, hey, look at me. I used to watch years ago, I'm not at all saying this guy is, is great and <laughs> that I agree with him on everything, but uh, back years ago when Stephen Colbert had that, uh, whatever his show was called, funny show, um, uh, he would announce his guest. I only watched a little bit of it, but he would announce his guest. I always thought this was really funny. When the guest came out and everybody started applauding, he would run over in front of the guest 
So it was like everybody was just applauding for him, right? <laughs> he would steal the moment from the guest. I've often thought that that's what we do in church a lot of times. We get together and we say, oh, it's all about God here. And then we run out in front of him. <laughs> and we say, look at me. Give me the attention I need. Give me the attention I want. Guys, if we have a Lord who would go to a cross for us, there can be no place for that kind of stupid selfishness. I'm sorry, kids, don't say stupid. That just came out. That kind of ignorant selfishness. Instead, as the song says, we pour contempt on all our pride. <laughs> Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. These people, they had not just uh, uh, necessarily done some great, like I said, exploiting of the poor here in the temple. But they had totally missed the point. Yeah. That's what had happened with the, with the leaders of the people, misleading the people, the blind leading the blind, falling into a ditch. They had missed the point. May God forgive us of missing the point. Well, that's the end of my talk. But I want to tell you what happens when you do something like that. When you take an action like that, you upset people, right? And you would expect then that the people in charge are going to have a big problem with it, right? And they're going to want to challenge you if you do something like that. And that's what we find happening. And that's where we pick up tomorrow night, uh, where Josh is going to share online with us about challenges uh, to Jesus. So that's what happens when these people are threatened. They come after him, and you find that he's ready for everything they can throw at him. I love him. <laughs> he's he's uh, brilliant, and he cannot be conquered by uh, their uh, mutual uh, attempts to bring him down. They, he, they just uh, completely fail to deal with his great intellect. Um, that's where we're coming the rest of this week. All right, praise team, come on up. Even Brother Silas, come on up. Grab my spot. You have my tenor spot, the honored spot. All right. And uh, let's all stand, and, and we'll, we'll sing, and then we'll be, be closed. Mm -hmm.